We're looking at the subject this morning, a trip or a, a, a re-trip or however you want to say it, a return to Mars Hill, taken from uh, Acts chapter 17. A little background will help us here. When Paul and his companions preached at Thessalonica, another Greek town, the Jews were greatly disturbed and they followed Paul to Berea where a near riot was incited by them. The believers convinced Paul to leave for the coast where Timothy and Silas would join him later. While waiting in Athens, Paul became spiritually distraught at seeing the rank and prolific idolatry of the Athenians, verse 16 of our text. And so, Paul began to preach in the Jewish synagogue. That was usually his, his pattern. He would go there first. He would preach at the Jewish synagogue. He did that, but also he began to preach in the marketplace. And his teaching struck an interest with two groups of philosophers. They're mentioned in our text. The Epicureans and the Stoic, verse 18. These two groups were notably different in their worldviews. Epicureans were influential only in the educated upper classes. And their views about God were similar to deism. Now deism teaches that God is uninvolved. He is uninvolved in the universe and what is more, he's irrelevant. It's kind of like he wound up the universe like the spring of a clock. He let it fly and start running and then he went off to do other things. No interest whatsoever in his creation. If there were gods, they, they were only those known through the senses. What you could see, touch, hear, feel, that kind of thing. So, stars, they could see those. Planets, eventually they could see those. And life's goal for the Epicureans was pleasure. The lack of physical pain, the lack of emotional disturbance. Epicureans were atheistic materialists. They didn't believe in anything in the sense of what the Bible talks about God they believed in matter, what's here and now. Epicurus, the founder, sought truth by means of personal experience, not through reasoning. So the Epicureans, think of them this way. Experience rules. Experience rules. That's the only thing that's important in life is experience. Here was their slogan, and it's in the scripture. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow... We die. That's the slogan of the Epicureans. In modern parlance, wine, women, and song. Know any modern day Epicureans in our day? To some, pleasure meant that which was grossly physical. But to others, it meant a life of refined serenity, free from pain, free from anxiety. 
The true Epicurean avoided extremes. He sought to enjoy life by keeping things in balance. But guess what? Pleasure was still the number one goal. I'm out to please me. If it isn't pleasant to me, I'm not interested. Now, the Stoics were more popular, oddly, you might not think this, but they were more popular and they opposed pleasure. Think about this, Greeks that opposed pleasure. They criticized the Epicureans. Now, they're both here in Athens. Paul's confronting, going to confront them both. Although Stoics still profess belief in the gods, philosophers were often considered impious because they questioned the old traditions. The Stoics were, we like it the old way. We don't like modern. We like tradition. So they were the conservatives of the two pagan groups, but they were idolaters to the core, just the same as the Epicureans. Their idea of God was pantheistic. That is, pan, meaning all, and theo, from the Greek word for God. Hence, God is everywhere, and he is in everything. God is pan. You know, he's all. The most important thing in life to the Stoics was to follow one's reason and to be self-sufficient, unmoved, unmoved by inner feelings or outward circumstances. So their model was not experience rules, but reason rules. Use your brain. Well, of course, such a philosophy only fanned the flames of pride. And it taught men that they did not need the help of God because they were smart in and of themselves. And it's interesting that the first two leaders of the Stoic school committed suicide. So all of their reasoning led to a kind of madness. So here we have it. Here's a quote from Warren Wearsby. The Epicureans said, enjoy life. And the Stoics said, endure life. But it remained for Paul to explain how they could enter into life through faith in God's risen Son. What a great quote from Warren Wearsby. Athens truly loved its human philosophers. Aristotle made his home in Athens. Socrates made his home in Athens. So as Paul began to preach, his message was wrongly understood. Some, verse 18, I think it was the Stoics here. I can't prove that, but their question kind of goes along with their philosophy. Some said, verse 18, what is this babbler trying to say? Now they're talking about Paul and his preaching. The term babbler literally means a picker up of seeds. A seed picker. 
You've all seen these little birds in Kmart parking lot or some are grocery store uh, parking lot. And what they do is they keep working their way around the tires and underneath the car. And what are they doing? They're looking uh, for little morsels of food to eat. Seed pickers. In context, however, Paul was being mocked as one who had no original thought of his own. He just picked others' brains and espoused their views. An equivalent reproach of our day would be bird brain. What does bird brain have to say to us? He's got small intellectual capacity. But in the same verse, Luke shows how these critics demonstrated their own stupidity. They think Paul is, this is, this is their words, advocating strange gods. Because he preached Jesus and the resurrection. The word resurrection in Greek is anastasis. It's a woman's name. So he would say anastasis. Jesus, speaking of Jesus and Anastasis, seems to be the two new gods that this guy's preaching. Like Socrates of old, who was also led or brought to the Areopagus many decades before and was considered the ideal philosopher, Luke may be portraying Paul as the new Socrates for his Greek audience when he writes verse 19, they took him and brought him to the meeting of the Areopagus. Areopagus is, um, in the Greek it means hill of Ares, is one of their gods. Uh, it's the equivalent of the Roman god Mars. And that's the title I've used here. Um, Mars was the god of thunder, the god of War, the God of getting things settled, getting things done. Now, as we read in this text this morning, the Areopagus here is a council. It's a place, yeah, it's, it's, they meet in a certain place. But it's a council consisting of men who comprise a think tank for Greek society. What did they think about? Answer, verse 21. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. What a life, right? I'm thinking, when do you go to work? Uh, you know, what about your shop? What about your trade? What are you doing? Well, I just go down to the marketplace and I go up to the Areopagus and we sit there and chew the fat about this idea and that idea. Look at verse 19 and you will see why they wanted to hear from Paul. May we know this new teaching, what this new teaching is that you are presenting. So he's fitting right in, you see, with what they do all day long. They're all into the latest. They want to know the latest. They don't know what Paul's talking about. So what's, what, what's this uh, new teaching that you're espousing? You know, there are people who disdain the past. They have no time for antiquities. They have no time for history. 
They have no time for reminiscing. They have no time for meditation upon the fixed records of events of bygone eras. No time for any of that. Their goal is to live for the present, live for the moment, and that means forget the past. Do you know that the Athenians were as modern as any people you will meet on the streets of our cities in our day? More ways than one, as we are about to see. Solomon was correct when he said, there is nothing new under the sun. What I'm going to teach you today in terms of Eastern thought is nothing new. It is nothing more than the Athenian pagan worldview in new robes. Modern terms does not mean modern or new ideas. America is experiencing the rebirth of gods and goddesses. Hence today's title, A Revisit to Mars Hill. You know, up until the decade of the 60s, our society functioned upon rational thought. Human wisdom was prized as the way to discover truth, but reason came into disrepute in the 60s. When the young, and that's my generation, so I'm ashamed to say. What happened is that young people began to question just how all this wisdom and technology and information had been used. They began to protest book learning and college education, the Vietnam War, the Christian work ethic, Christian morality. Anything to do with planned, reasonable, well-thought-out policies. And this new trend was fueled by the music industry. The Beatles songs advocated hallucinatory drugs to free the mind of stated ways of viewing life and just let things happen. Lucy in the sky with diamonds in her eyes. Praise of LSD. I get by with a little help from my friends. It's not referring to his buddies. It's referring to drugs. Psychotropic drugs. Drugs were advocated because drugs break down the inhibitions. Drugs break down the moral restraints on people which hold them in check when they think. It's the first time we start hearing about date rape drugs. Same idea. Break down the moral inhibitions. There were also in the 60s godless philosophers who used their positions as college professors to indoctrinate their students with what they thought was a new religion. My mind goes to Timothy Leary, a Harvard psychology professor who became the high priest of the psychedelic worldview. Listen to what he says. He says, turn on to the scene, tune into what's happening and drop out of high school, college, grad school, junior executive. Follow me the hard way. And what he was doing here was mocking Jesus who, was, who, who taught, take up your cross 
Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. He goes on. In his book he writes, You must start your own religion. You are God. But only you can discover and nurture your divinity. No one can start your own religion for you. Or again, turn on, find a sacrament which returns you to the temple of God, your own body. Go out of your mind, get high. It's a Harvard professor. This is he's teaching these things in his class. Now listen to what Leary says of the Beatles. He says they were, quote, evolutionary agents sent by God, endowed with mysteries, mysterious powers to create a new human species. End quote. Now you see, he thinks, he thinks he's advocating something new. And that the music of the Beatles will produce a new humanity. People free of reason and who live solely by their feelings. Well, hello, that's the Epicureans in our text. Nothing new under the sun. Already been there and done that. Now it cannot be denied that musicians like the Beatles and philosophers like Larry were determined to overthrow Christianity and Christian mores. John Lennon in an interview on March of 66 made this bold statement, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue about that. I'm right and I will be proven right. We're more popular than Jesus right now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Jesus was all right, but his disciples were thick and ordinary. It's time, it's them twisting it that ruins it for me. End quote. Shortly after this bombshell, George Harrison, another beetle, began to move the Beatles into Eastern religions, especially Hinduism, following the teachings of Maharishi Mahesh Yogi into transcendental meditation. That is, transcend the present physical reality through Eastern meditation techniques. And he began to write songs with his Eastern thought in them. My Sweet Lord, was a song that he wrote, the chorus alternating with Handel's Messiah, Christian composer, and the chorus having a Hare Krishna chant. So he mixes, mixed them all together. So the 60s began to bring this stuff in, I would say in a whole scale way. And people, because of being the sinners they are, they said, oh, pleasure rules, living for pleasure. This is great. Don't have to think about this. Just need to do. And it began to be in God. Now, 
This brings us, bulletin outline, six basic characteristics of Eastern mystic religions that are now, now part of the American scene. See if you can recognize some of these characteristics. Number one, all of the Eastern religions are irrational. See, what do you mean by that? Whereas in a faith like Christianity, reason plays a vital role in proving its validity, Eastern thought says, forget reason. Just go with your emotions. Go with your gut feelings. Woo, wow, that's pretty dangerous, knowing what some gut feelings are out there. This is why Professor Leary adapted, advocated rather dropping out of school. Education can't help you find the truth. You have to discover truth within yourself. If you can't sleep at night, it's because you're thinking too much. So you need to develop the art of meditation in which you kind of empty your mind of all thoughts. And for help, burn incense and try chanting meaningless sounds. Om. Much of Eastern thought is without intellectual substance and meaning. The goal is to transcend the world of things, the material. Remember, there's a, there's a part of Greek thought that, that hates material because they thought all material items, materialism, was evil. So you've got to get into the spiritual world and beyond. Don't concern yourself with... Uh, trying to understand the world. Just live. Just do. Now in our Western world, we live by the law of non-contradiction, which says basically that two different things cannot both be true at one and the same time, in the same way. Now I've got some illustrations for you here. There is a block of wood, just kind of square, blockish, so on. There's another kind of wood. I don't know if I have enough room to set up all this. It's just a tree limb. And there's another kind of wood. A turn is put on a lathe and turned to become a, a spindle for a chair. This is wood, block, limb, on a spindle, shaped round. Well, if it's shaped round, then it's not a block. It's now roundish. This is all very logical to us, but Eastern culture knows nothing of this way of making distinctions. The goal in Eastern thought is to get past the distinctions of square versus round or planed versus rough, get rid of those distinctions and just realize the oneness of all three. What's the oneness of all three of these? Wood. That's all you need to know. Wood. 
Who cares if one is square? Who cares if one is round? Who cares if one is, is a stick? Well, carpenter building a house probably is going to prefer this for his wall as opposed to that. And a furniture manufacturer is going to prefer this over that. But you see what we're doing? We're using our brain and we're making distinctions. We're not just saying the essential element is wood and that's all that matters. Eastern thought says, no, it is all that matters. But if you're building something aesthetically and functionally, as well as something that's going to be strong, you might go with wood, but you might want it to look tooled, turned on, a lathe. So, what I'm saying is that in Eastern thought, reason is out. Feeling is what is in. I just feel that God loves everybody and that there's no such thing as hell or accountability. Have you ever heard that said? They didn't get that from the book. That's Eastern thought. I just feel. I like to tell people, no one cares about what you feel. What you feel is subjective. I got feelings, you got feelings, all God's children got feelings. But the book is to bring us back into check out of those subjective feelings which come from our experiences, maybe good or bad. Eastern thought says, the only thing is to have an open mind. You need an open mind. You need to be tolerant of all faiths. But like an open sewer, you never know what's going to drain in there. Once a person gives up the principle of making distinctions, of believing in contradictions, and believing in differences, then anything and everything, no right, no wrong, everything goes. Everything can be believed at one and the same time with equal conviction. We can say, well, I'm going to build my house out of this instead of this. Because the important thing is wood. Now, if you watch A&E's program, Mountain Men, they do build things out of this because they don't have this. So, but you make do with what you have. This is a direct assault on the Christian worldview which must make distinctions because it finds its roots in the God of truth who defines right and wrong, correct, incorrect, good or bad in his word. It isn't just, I feel that God is this or that. Secondly, Eastern religions are monistic. You say, what do you mean by that? Mono, one, by which... They mean that there is no distinction, here we go again, between God and man, between animals and human beings, between plants and people. We're all one. We're just part of the cosmos. 
were part of the world in which we live. All is interrelated, interdependent, interwoven. So ultimately, there's no difference between God, a man, a cow, an ear of corn, or a rock. Think of the ethical implications. The way you treat a human being is no different than the way you treat an animal. I was watching a show on um, Animal Planet. I like that network, so I watch every once in a while. And there was these two women that ran a clinic, of, uh, I guess a veterinarian clinic, for rescuing wounded and injured animals. And here's what one woman said. We teach our students, so there, it's, it was a, a teaching institute as well, we teach our students to respect the privacy of these animals, not to stare at them in their cages while they are recuperating, and to be sure to whisper in the lab because the other animals are trying to sleep. Brethren, that's monism. We are one with the animals. The animals are one with us. Don't make this distinction, human being versus cat or dog. Well, where has that gotten people? In India, the cow is sacred. The people see themselves as one with the cow. And so while families by the thousands have, uh, have uh, members who are literally starving to death, the cow population is allowed to roam the streets at will without any threat or danger because no one would even think of having hamburgers for lunch. The Bible, however, teaches that we are not all one. Look at Paul, verse 24 of our text. The God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth. He's not one with his creation. He's above it. Verse 25. He himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. Conclusion. Verse 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. What he's saying here is God is not one with the elements. God is not identical to you or something you can construct. God's here and you're here. Eastern thought teaches monism. Everybody's the same. Number three, Eastern thought, all is God. The term for this is pantheism. Pan meaning all. Theos, again, the word for God. Pan American Airlines flies all over the Americas. Right? There's no personal God who stands distinct from creation. In fact, to speak of creation is a no-no because creation implies a creator. So those of Eastern thought have little trouble with the idea of evolution, except 
that the naturalist sees the material world as the only world there is in evolution, while the man of Eastern religion sees the spiritual or divine as the only reality. They both agree, however, that there is only one level of reality. The Greek concept of the gods was this way. If you know anything about them, their gods were nothing more than replicas of men with superhuman capabilities. But in the end, very human. They got jealous. They were greedy. They were immoral and fornicators. They were murderers. They were selfish. These were the Greek gods. And Paul's point in verse 25 is that the true God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Human beings are always in need of others. His point, God is not one with humanity. He's distinct from it. Indeed, he is above men as the creator who, verse 26, made from one man every nation of men. And not only did God make men, he set down rules whereby they are to be governed. Verse uh, 26, the latter part. Determining the times set for them, the exact places where they should live, so on. God is not an impersonal force, like in Star Wars, which men are part of and can use if they just learn to plug into him in the right way. He is a personal, rational, intelligent, distinct, powerful being to whom all of us must give an account. Verse 30 of this text. Now you can see, boy, I can see the Athenians sitting there at the Areopagus and this is blowing their minds to have Paul be teaching like this. Number four, in Eastern thought, every individual is a God. Every individual is a God. This follows, I mean, think about this. If all is God, that's pantheism, then man is God too. One Swami of Eastern thought put it bluntly when he said it this way. Kneel to your own self. Honor and worship your own being. God dwells within you as you. End quote. Eastern mysticism teaches chain of being. I brought a little chain here to kind of demonstrate this. Chain of being. That man and God are of one essence. One essence. Reincarnation is the instrument by which all men become divine. So we have... Here and God is at the top of the chain. Here's where div- here's our goal, divinity, way up here at the top link, and we're down here somewhere. But we're all of the same essence. In this case, steel. We're all made of the same stuff. The purest form of deity is at the top of the chain. Halfway down, we may find man. Two thirds of the way down, we may find animals. Maybe way down here on the bottom we will find plants because they all consist of the same stuff, the essence of deity. We're just somewhere in the progression. Ever since Adam's sin, man has been declaring himself to be 
like God. You be sure of that. I've heard Kenneth Copeland say, I am God. You are God. We are all God. That's influence of Eastern thought, Eastern mysticism. And yet he is viewed by some as being a Christian, evangelical Christian. If I ever stand up here and say, I am God and you are God and we're all God, put a bullet through me and bury me in the back acre somewhere because that's just plain blunt heresy. Number five. In Eastern religion, there is no death. No death. One simply moves up the stage of existence to another stage Death is just your final, as one man put it, your final growth stage. Okay, you're down here somewhere, and you're going to go through, well, they don't believe it's death. They believe it's reincarnation. So that when you come back, you're going to move up a link or two on the chain of being. When you become enlightened then you will know this. You see, to acknowledge death is to suggest that part of the one has become extinct. A little bit of God. See, if we're all God, if you're going to acknowledge death, then a little bit of God has gone away. If you're going to talk about death. So these mystical religions deny death. Man is immortal because God is immortal. You just move up a link or two in the chain. So rather than death, the Eastern religions speak of reincarnation, the ability to transmigrate from one existing form to another. Maybe you were a plant, and then you moved up to animal, and then... You get into the higher animal forms like ape and chimpanzee, and then you moved up to homo sapien, to man, and so forth. And then you, you want to keep moving, though, and you want to eventually get to deity, personified. Did you know that the American public would not accept the teaching of reincarnation on the basis that they might have come from a slug. So, people like Shirley MacLaine now says that reincarnation isn't from lower life, life forms, but it's between people, from people to people. So, they've changed the doctrine a little bit because they knew Americans wouldn't like the fact that maybe you were moving up from a lower, really slimy life form to something like that. Now, what does God say? Verse 30 of our text. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising that man from the dead. He's saying death comes to men, and Jesus himself died, though the perfect man... 
Reincarnation is not the truth. Resurrection is the truth. And resurrection assumes death. And it proves that judgment is coming to the masses by the one who raised from the dead even Jesus Christ. Paul says, even of the believer, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The dead will be raised imperishable. The perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 15 following. Men are not immortal now. They become immortal in Christ, in the resurrection from the dead. What a shock to those of Eastern thought to wake up on the other side of death to face the judgment of a personal God They have denied and rejected all of their lies and to discover all too late that they are not immortal gods. We need to tell people this in the gospel. And then finally, Eastern religious thought takes a hostile or skeptical view of modern medicine and technology. Anything modern. Mahatma Gandhi is revered the world over as a pacifist who promoted nonviolence to solve problems. But he was a devoted mystic. He denounced medical science as, these are his words, the concentrated essence of black magic. That's what he thought of the doctors and the medicines and the hospitals. And true to his belief system, Gandhi refused to allow the doctors to give his wife a shot of the alien medicine, as he put it, penicillin, for her pneumonia, and she died. Gandhi's own remedies for various ailments included enemas of dried dung from India's sacred cows, drinking a daily glass of one's own urine to purify one's body, He said, I believe that the civilization that India evolved is not to be beaten in the world. India remains immovable, and that is her glory. Our ancestors dissuaded us from luxurious luxuries and pleasures. The Stoics, see? Our ancestors discouraged that. We have managed with the same kind of plow as existed thousands of years ago. You see what he's proud of? He's proud of antiquated measures of doing things, not modern farming techniques. And so the billions of people that live in India go hungry every day. Well, he may have been a pacifist, but his eastern disdain of reason and technology has done little for his culture. Eastern countries have backwoods mentalities with regard to sanitation and hospitals, aid to the poor, education and the like because they disdain reason while exalting feelings. Science thrived, listen, science thrived in the West because the Western culture believed in a personal God who created the world, gave it order, gave it design, governed by predictable laws, truth. The Christian world accepts technology as God's gift, as a tool for good or evil. 
I would say this morning, as Eastern thought permeates our culture, you need to look for a decline in our civilization. Because there will be a rise of the gods and goddesses and a disparaging of the God of Christianity, the only God that there is. Set aside your reason. Set aside the distinctions. Just go with what you feel. Well, we are living in a society where people are going with what they feel. And we're watching it crumble like Rome of old. God forgive us. Now, brethren, your assignment for this week is among your neighbors, friends, relatives, co-workers, and so on. Just see if you cannot pick out any one of these six aspects of mystic thought, mystic religion. I don't think you're going to find it hard. It's everywhere. If you watch the news, talk to people and so on, you're going to hear them going with their gut feelings. And you'll say something to them like, but that's not reasonable. That's not, or you'll say, that's not right. Well, that's the way I feel about it. It's like, don't disturb me with right or wrong or correct or incorrect. I'm just going with, that's the way I feel about it. I'm so tired of the talk shows that say, well, what do you feel is the way to go on this? Everything is, what do you feel? I don't want to know what they feel. What do you believe? That's what I want to know. What do you believe? Bring your brain into the situation. Tell me what you believe. And if your belief doesn't match up and line up with what Paul told these Athenians about Jesus Christ, the judgment and the resurrection to come, then your belief system is faulty and you will perish in your sin. Our Lord, we pray for us today because we have been bombarded with Eastern thought. Sadly, ashamedly, it started in my generation well, probably before that, but it really came to the fore in the 60s. And now it has engulfed our entire country. It isn't just old Professor Leary at Harvard University. It's now professors in almost every university that are teaching situational ethics, teaching that truth is not absolute, teaching that feelings is the best way to live your life, and on and on and on it goes. And our country is in chaos because God is a God of order and was founded upon Christian principles. We had men in office and men establishing government priorities based upon their brains, knowing what didn't work in the past and what the human heart is capable of of apart from God. And so they structured a government with checks and balances, which if applied would be sane. But now we have people believing in contradictions and believing them and holding to them at the one and the same time. And they think that that's perfectly okay. Lord, help us. Because we, we're, we, we're going to deal with people who say, well, I just feel. 
and and they're going to say things and believe things that are contrary to the word of God. But they they feel it. They believe it emotionally. They're going, they accept it. We need to be delivered from that kind of reaction. And we need to tell people the bold truth that Paul gave to the Athenians here in the scriptures. There is a God and he's personal. And he's not you and you're not him. And we need to point them to Christ, the only Savior, for this kind of distorted and twisted thinking. Bless the truth of your word. Save whom you will today. If we've been relying upon our own thinking, God, forgive us. It'll take us right to hell. Bring us up short for the glory of Jesus.